Hi. <laughs> Long time no see. It's been a few months. Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, would you pray with me again, uh, just as we get rolling? Father, thank you for this night. Uh, God, thank you that you love us. And thank you that uh, <laughs> regardless of what we're bringing in here, uh, regardless of uh, if we wanted to be here tonight, or if we're visiting, or if somebody pushed us in, uh, that you've got us here for a reason. And, and so we ask, uh, Jesus, that you would reveal yourself, that, um, that we'd see you, uh, that we'd know you. Um, we believe that you can do that, and we ask that you would help us soften our hearts. Don't allow us to get distracted. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, uh, a couple of things as we get going. First is I didn't know until today what, uh, what Steve preached on last week, and this coincides uh, pretty directly with that, which is just a cool thing that God tends to do. And I'm going to start by telling you a story. Uh, it's a story about uh, the, the kind of people you would want to have as your grandparents. Uh, they're kind of weird, they're fun, uh, they're normal, unlike most of our grandparents. Uh, it, it's just how it worked out. Uh, so that's, that's who this is about. They're just a normal, older couple that I happen to know. All right? uh, so in, in April of 2014, uh, so next month minus six years, uh, April 2014, I flew to Denver, Colorado for what would be uh, the second time in my life uh, to interview for a youth pastor gig at a church called Faith Church, which is, um, if you get on Spear and drive for 20 minutes east, you'll hit it. Um, that's, uh, I, I interviewed for a youth pastor job at, at, at that church, went through their whole process, and uh, after about a week, what you're supposed to do, they, they sent me the job offer and uh, talked to my friends, talked to my family, uh, decided to go for it. And uh, so I... Uh, hitched, a, essentially j chose to hitch a U-Haul to my PT Cruiser at the time and, and drive out here. But there was a significant problem. Uh, I knew exactly, precisely zero people in Denver. That was part A of the problem. Part B is I had almost zero dollars. So, you can, if, if you're any good at math, you can sense where, oh, okay, uh, where are you going to stay? What, what, what's going to happen? And, uh, and so I sifted through my network of, of, of people that I knew elsewhere. Hey, do you guys know anybody? Uh, and at the, at the board of trustees at my college, there was a, uh, a rich member who happened to live in Denver, uh, which worked out great. They have a swanky house, uh, not all that far from here. And, uh, and I got connected with them, and, and, and they were like, sure, yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll house you until you get situated with whatever that's going to look like. Well, fast forward, so that, that interview happened in April. That, that conversation was in May. In June, I'm getting ready to move, and they said, hey, bad news. We are, we're going to be out of town. Sudden, sudden change. We can't be there. We would love to help you, but we can't. Uh, I had no idea what to do. Uh, what would you do uh, if you were in that situation? Uh, well, the word uh, kind of got around to the church that I got hired at, uh, and there was this couple evidently willing to house me. Uh, the word on the street is they wanted to rough me up a bit uh, before I got on the job. Uh, and their names are Mario and Joe. 
That's, and I'll, I'll reference their names because they're uh, basically family to me. That's what I'm talking about. Mario and Joe is this, uh, the, the grandparents you wish you had, uh, but they're really just normal folks. Um, and they displayed from that moment on, and I'm going to continue to tell their story a little bit. From that moment on, they continued to display what I think is the principal trait, what we see in Scripture, the principal trait of somebody who has met Jesus, where uh, you've heard about him, you've gotten to know him, uh, and he's changed you. Uh, and that trait, that, that, that principal idea, the, that, that thing that flows out of Christians is and ought to be love. And in some ways, that should go without saying. We've, regardless of your background in church, you've, you've likely heard uh, Christians either claim to be or, or actively they are uh, loving. But you'd, you'd be surprised, I've been pastoring for a while now, and you'd be surprised how, uh, how much this point gets overlooked. A person who has met the real Jesus and has been transformed by his good news will necessarily love. All right, and, and, and we're going to unpack that a little bit out of Romans 12. Uh, but before we read anything, I got, I've got to give you a little bit of context or I'm robbing you of, of what's being said. Um, so the whole book of Romans, it's one of the longer letters in the Bible. It's a letter. And it's written by a, a man named Paul. He's talking to a church in a major metropolitan area in Rome. Uh, there's uh, a whole bunch of people, very diverse, a lot of different socioeconomic classes, etc. And he's writing them this letter. And he's got a couple of goals as he's writing the letter. The first goal is he's in the midst of these missionary journeys. And he's saying, hey, I need your help. I need prayer. I need money. I need to, in order to do what God's calling me to do, I'm going to need you. But also... Like all churches, like this church, like the church that I work at, all churches have needs. They're, they're confused about stuff. They're struggling with things. And, and he wants to also address pastorally and theologically what's going on in the church in Rome. And so what he does, it's brilliant, if you uh, want to take the time to read the letter, is he uses the gospel, the, the good news of the message of Jesus, and he weaves this thread to invite them into support of his ministry, but also to help teach them the stuff that they're struggling with, to show them, hey, this is what it looks like in Rome to, to do this thing. And that's, that's, that's his thread. He takes the gospel and connects it to a bunch of different things throughout it. And where we're picking it up, it's, we're three-quarters of the way through the letter, so there's a lot he's already done. But he switches focus. He's, he's told them about the gospel, he's told them various things, and then he switches focus, and he's starting to tell them what does it look like to live as a follower of Jesus in real life tomorrow morning? What does it look like to do this thing with Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis? And that's what Romans 12 is, and it keeps going. But uh, So the verses we're going to read are Romans 12, 9 to 16, but I've got to give you, I've got to tell you the start of his thought, which is Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is how he starts this thought. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, based on all these things, all the stuff I've told you thus far, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, those verses are really important for what, I'm, what we're about to read. Because what he's saying there is all this stuff, all the stuff I'm, I've told you up to this point, means if you've met Jesus, so this is for everybody here tonight, if you've met Jesus and he is changing you and he's wooing you and he's showing you how much he loves you, if that has happened in your life, then these things will be true about you. These things will be true about you. And that, friends, is what gets us to verse 9. If you've met Jesus, verse 9, Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful. It's lazy. Don't be lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. All right? So that's the, that's the text we're going to unpack. And uh, if you know me, if you've heard me preach, you know I just tend to follow the logic of the text itself. And so that's what we're going to do. Paul's primary point here is the one that we started with, with that story, with that couple, and we'll come back to it. If you've met Jesus, you've come to know him, and he's changing your mind about stuff, he's changing your heart about stuff, then the inevitable, unavoidable byproduct is love. To know God, according to Paul, is to love. And so please hear that, because if you, uh, if you ignore this and try to come back, it's all going to fall apart Paul's saying to truly know God, if you've got any interest at all in knowing the God of the universe, to know him is to love. So, we're going to camp in verse 9 for a minute and, and figure out what's going on here. What's he saying? Let love be genuine. All right? And we've got to discuss uh, a little bit, I think, what on earth that means. What, dare I ask, what is love? What is love? It's a big, generic, theological idea that you've probably heard before, that Christians that know, if you know God, you will, you will love. And though it sounds obvious, I would bet, and I know this to be true from my own church, if I pin somebody down and said, tell me what love is, they would not be able to really articulate it. It's, this, it's just this thing. And, and for most of us, I think on a week-to-week -week basis... We don't even think in these terms. We're just trying to keep it together. We're just trying to not lose our patience and not freak out at people. But it's not the vision that Paul's communicating here. And so what does he mean when he tells those of us that know God that we will love? And here's what's interesting. This is interesting to me as a theology nerd. Nowhere in this long letter, this lengthy, theologically inclined letter, nowhere does Paul say, no, nowhere does Paul define love. He never says, hey, love is X. So we can't just go back and be like, oh, this is exactly what he's saying when he's telling us to love. But 
but he does do it indirectly with one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And you've probably heard it before. It's in Romans 5. He says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, his love is shown while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul grounds the idea of love in Jesus himself, in his person and in his work. So what is love? I'm going to define it. And we're going to get more practical, I promise, but we've got to do this for the rest of it to make sense. What is love? In Romans, here it is. Love is the feeling, desire, or excuse me, feeling, decision, and action of God toward his people. It's the feeling, decision, and action of God toward his people. And each aspect of the definition is significant because culture, broader culture, if you leave this room and watch TV for 20 seconds or listen to any, any music with any consistency, love is often defined as a feeling. That's, that's what it leans on. If, if in a relationship you're not happy and you don't feel love for a person anymore, then it's not love. That's a cultural construct of what love is. Christians tend to swing the pendulum too far the other way and so say, no, love is a decision. Love is an action. It's a verb. It's something you do. And the reality is that both sides of that spectrum are truncated. They're, they're overly simple. Love is all three of those things. It's a feeling, a decision, and an action because it's rooted in who God is and how he relates to us. God feels, decides, and acts toward us. And it's precisely that love that draws us and changes us. It's his love that woos us and transforms us. And that's what you see Paul referencing in Romans. And, and, and I love this. The, 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 the principle is so profound. While you... So I'm talking to every one of us, to myself included. While you were at your very worst, in your darkest hours, like the ones that at night, every now and again, maybe every night, maybe not, but every now and again you're lying in bed, those nights, the ones that come to mind that from your past, where the shame is resting, I can't believe that I did that. I can't believe that I said that. It could be decades ago. It doesn't matter. Those moments, those darkest moments, in them, in those moments, God himself, Jesus Christ, says, I want you. I want you in my family. And I will come and get you. I want you, and I'm going to come and show you how much I love you. And it's that love that changes us. Right? It's that love that led Jesus to sacrifice himself for you so that he could have you in the family. Right? He, he, he invites you in, he pursues you, he loves you, and he changes you. And he teaches you and shows you how to love like he does. And that's why chapter 12 starts like it does. It's saying, if this is true for you, if you've met this Jesus, if you've experienced this love, 
then these things will be true for you. And so that's the theological backing for uh, this idea of love. But I want to swing a little bit more practical in in several ways. First, let's finish out verse 9. How does this happen in practice? He tells you to love. Then what does he say? Abhor or hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Another way of saying that is turn from evil. Turn from your old self. Hold fast to good. Hold fast to Jesus. It's the age-old Christian message. Repent and cling to Jesus. Repent and cling to Jesus. That is how this love takes place in us. In order for us to love, in order for us to love as Jesus loves us, we must repent and cling to Jesus. And so here's the deal. If you've ever wondered, this is a sincere statement, if you've ever wondered how you personally can show the love of Jesus to somebody in your life that detests Christianity, repent and cling to Jesus. If you've ever wondered how you can actually love your frustrating and intolerant grandparent or parent or whoever, repent and cling to Jesus. If you've tried to love people on the opposite end of the political spectrum and you've struggled with that, repent and cling to Jesus. When we recognize our shortcomings and look to the love of Jesus, that love will flow back out of us. It's his desire, decision, and action toward us that then extends out. All right, so let's uh, let's keep moving. Let's get, uh, uh, he, he swings from that general idea of love and gives descriptors. He gives descriptors. Uh, The first one's the most obvious. It's still in verse nine. Let love be genuine. Uh, Okay, in April 2016, so two years after uh, the story I I started with of me flying out for an interview uh, and taking a youth pastor gig, two years after that, um, I had uh, since, uh, the position had changed, some other things had changed, Uh, I'd gotten married, my uh, my wife and I got engaged and got married, and uh, we were living in an apartment in Aurora at the time. And that spring, in April of of 2016, my wife got into a graduate school to pursue our hope of her becoming a physician assistant. That's a mid-level medical profession. And and she got in way earlier than either of us expected. And and so we just started to try to figure it out. How are we going to do this? I started to look for jobs, but couldn't find any. What are we going to do? And, and so what ended up happening is my wife went to grad school in Pennsylvania, and I stayed here and started grad school myself at the time. And for two years, roughly, my wife and I lived long distance, which sucks as bad as it sounds. And, and we were living at the time uh, more than 1,000 miles apart and, might I add, on a youth pastor salary. Right, So things were difficult, and uh, we couldn't realistically afford for me to stay in our apartment. Um, and we were traveling more to see each other, and we had other new expenses as a young married couple. And so who 
of all people, reached out readily, willingly, and openly and invited me and her to live with them more or less for those two years, Mario and Joe. That same couple that I mentioned earlier, apparently they didn't learn their lesson from the first time. And as Paul clearly states here, it's, it's plain as day, the love that we have through Jesus is genuine. And depending on what translation of the Bible you're used to, uh, it might read a couple of different ways. Let love be genuine, let love be sincere, uh, let love be without hypocrisy. And all of those ideas are embedded in the Greek word that Paul uses. Because this is the love of Jesus himself coming through us, the love must be genuine. It's not a false pretense. It's not fake. It's not one way in public and another way in private. The love that that couple displayed to my wife and me in a season that was really pretty difficult was exactly that. That initial invitation two years prior wasn't just a, a short term, uh, let, me, let me show the world how godly I am, let me uh, try to get into the ear of the new pastor on staff. They really meant it. They desired, decided, and did good for Caitlin and myself. And then they proved it again just a few years later. Now, the tricky thing about this descriptor of letting love be genuine, letting your love be genuine, the tricky thing here is only you and God really know your heart. Right? So I can't really know if your kind comments to me are genuine or not, but I can know if mine are to you. And I want to pause briefly on this moment because we tend, I think, I've seen this a lot, we tend to give ourselves a ton of leeway to sort of, kind of love people. We'll say we love them, or we'll even do nice things for them. But you can't make me feel love for that person who annoys me constantly, right? So why is this a thing for God? Why is he not content with my sort of, kind of loving people? And, of course, the answer is in the definition of love that we gave earlier. To love is to engage all three, feeling, decision, and action. At your very worst, your ugliest, your most evil, God loves, chooses, and pursues you. All right, so our love being sincere, being genuine, being not hypocritical, matters to God because of who he is and who he is specifically toward us. And we're going to come back to this idea uh, again at the end, but I want to switch gears. So we've got this big theological idea, to know God is to love. And then we see that this love is genuine, but second, we see something else. And it's in the remaining verses here, verses 10 through 16. Let's take a look at those again. I'm going to read them. Paul says... Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Okay, that first statement, 
that Paul makes about love that flows out of disciples, his followers, is that it's genuine. And you can probably spot the pattern in those latter verses. He's using a list to make a general point, but first I want to finish the story. So April 2014, then you've got April 2016, bump ahead two more years to summer-ish, summer-ish 2018, which is not that long ago. In that time, summer, fall 2018, it was discovered that at the church that I work at, the previous senior pastor would need to be removed from his ministry for moral reasons. And uh, I've actually mentioned that in here before. You've probably heard me mention it. And that was, and it has been challenging for our whole church. In the aftermath, we saw a lot of changes. We lost a lot of our friends. Uh, We experienced trauma as a people. And and even at one point, our building failed. And it was February, and the heat stopped working. Right? There were a host of needs, and many of them would require sacrifices from a bunch of different people. And so, as the quiet examples that they've always been, that couple, Mario and Joe, plugged into our church a little more deeply. First, uh, they were just caring for people and asking a lot of questions, and then they started to help out with the service ministry at our church, and most recently, one of them joined the equivalent of the council at our church. Right? And they're not the only ones. And, and, and here's the thing, I can swing this towards scum. Scum's been through the ringer the last couple of years, too. Uh, there's been lots of transitions, lots of changes, lots of mess. And, uh, and in the midst of it, if you pay attention, you see people will dive in more deeply. They'll give a little bit more than they know that they can. And it's a beautiful picture. We've seen it at our church. I know it's happened here. We've seen a beautiful picture of this last point. And I want to be clear about something. Those steps, digging in a little deeper, those are not painless steps of people with nothing to lose. Those are normal people making godly, painful decisions to love other people. And that's uh, what you see here. First, you see Paul describe love as sincere, and then verses 10 to 16, he says that the love that we get from Jesus always has an outward orientation. The love that he pours into us always has an outward orientation. If your heart, here's the cheesy pastor line, if your heart knows God, if your heart knows Jesus, your heart will, will beat for other people. In many ways, it's that simple. You see, love can't be principally inward because the love of Jesus is not principally inward. His love flows outward toward us and toward the rest of creation. And so the love that he then gives to us, through us, must necessarily flow outward toward him, toward others, and the rest of creation. So I want to take a look. I'm going to paraphrase. I want to take a look back at this list because it's a good barometer. It's kind of a scary barometer, to be honest with you. We see here outward love described basically in a bullet point form. So here's what Paul says. He says, when you've met Jesus, your genuine love will manifest outwardly like this. Love others like they're in the family. Like they're in your family. Love others by valuing them 
highly. Love others by proactively serving them. Love others by proactively meeting their needs. Love others by inviting them into your life. Love others by blessing them even when they would never bless you. Love others by entering into joy with them when they're joyful and entering into grief with them when they're grieving. Love others by being peaceful toward them. Love others by associating with the people nobody likes or cares about. And lastly, love others by being humble. Now, that's quite a list. (laughs) It can feel overwhelming, at least it it does uh, to me. But here's what we know. Every single one of those, every single one of the, the, the things that Paul lists are things that God does for us. They're ways that God loves us. And he wants to show his love to others through you. It's one of my favorite things about how God chooses to work. Right? Caitlin and I, my wife and I, experienced the very love of God himself through that couple that we wish was our grandparents. We've experienced God's love, and you've experienced God's love as a church body through people who have dived deeper into ministry to serve you in these hard seasons. When we love other people, even people we don't really know, they can experience the love of God through us. And I want to pause. If you are in here tonight and you're not a Christian, you're not sold, you're not in the camp, first of all, awesome, glad that you're here. Um, you might be wondering, fairly, what you're supposed to do with all of this information, because it sounds like I'm mostly talking to people who already follow Jesus, and that's a fair critique. But here's what I know. If you're not a Christian, or if you are, God, God has you here for a reason tonight. He is pursuing you. So however you got here... He's pursuing you. He's trying to show you that he loves you. So my recommendation to anybody in here who's not a Christian is to stay, is to be here. And here's why. If you've got any interest at all in experiencing, knowing and experiencing that God loves you, if you've got any interest, even a tiny bit, then let his people show you his love. So stay. Be here. All right, so with that said, uh, we're going we're gonna to bring this thing to an end, and I'm going to ask a series of questions. Um, if, if you, or excuse me, if I'm a follower of Jesus, these are questions I need to be asking myself regularly. And I want to just very briefly one more time mention that couple. Um, and I, I would, if they were in the room, I would say the same thing. They are remarkably, astoundingly normal. They are not superheroes in the faith. They are normal people going about normal life. And so they are not so much more mature. The people in this church that you know that display this love, they are not so much more mature than you, so much further down the road than you, that these aren't realistic questions or thoughts for you as well. For goodness sake, that couple was the, they're the, they're the people that taught me how to drink alcohol. Right? They're normal. So these questions are for all of us. And there's three of them, and I'm going to unpack each one briefly. 
First, first, do I, and I'm speaking to myself, do I repent and cling to Jesus? Do I repent and cling to Jesus? And I'll unpack it in a minute. Number two, is my love, the love that flows out of me, genuine or fake? Is it genuine or fake? And number three, who primarily receives my love? Those are the three questions I'm hoping and praying that you'll ask yourself tonight and beyond. First, do I regularly recognize my faults and turn to Jesus? And it seems pretty straightforward, right? Like that's the thing that you're supposed to do if you're a Christian, supposedly. But here's what I found. Even Christians well into their 70s, 80s, and 90s, if they are not regularly, I mean to the tune of daily, uh, approaching the cross of Christ and owning the fact that they're imperfect and in need of his love, if that's not happening regularly, I can promise you this, they are not loving other people in the way that they're designed. The same is true for you and for me. This is true for me. If I'm not regularly repenting, owning my past, owning my struggles, owning my doubts, and turning back to the love of Jesus who wants me in that brokenness, if that's not happening often, I am not loving you or anybody else in the way that I am designed to. Do I repent and cling to Jesus? Number one. Number two. Is my love genuine or is it fake? And don't cheat yourself. It's easy when you're talking about the people in your life that you already like, right? That's easy. But what about your political opponents? What about the person in your life that hates your faith? What about the people in this church that view scum differently than you do? I can promise you, if you're being honest about whether or not your love, the love that's flowing out of you is fake or if it's real. You will, all the time, find that you are loving people fakely. That you're saying it or saying it in public, but you don't really mean it, or you talk behind their back or whatever. You will find it again and again that you are not loving the people in your life sincerely. And here's the good news. There's good news. We've already discussed exactly where to go when you find it. Repent and cling to Jesus. You can love that person for real. You can love the people in your life in a new and real way. Repent and cling to Jesus. Is my love genuine or fake? Lastly, who primarily receives my love? Who primarily experiences and receives my desire, my decision, and my action toward them? Is it me? Is it my spouse? Who on a day-to-day basis experiences those things? And who, here's the follow-up question, who can that be this week? Who, and you, most of us already know, the Holy Spirit's already been pricking you about a certain relationship or certain people in your life. Who can that be this week? Who can you feel, decide, and act toward? What might it look like for you this evening or tomorrow morning to repent, cling to Jesus, and love people in a fresh way? All right, let's pray, uh, and we'll, we'll switch gears. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you, God, that you love us far more than we can ever even imagine. That you, the perfect, good, holy God of everything, 
would give up all of it for us, even those of us who would scoff at you. Those of us who, 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 would not, who would want nothing to do with you otherwise, you would still love us enough to give up everything for us. And God, we ask that you'll help that love to change us. That, that it'll, it'll uh, transform our character. It'll transform the way we see the world and the people in the world. And that God, scum and any other person here tonight, that we will be marked in a fresh way by your love. And we believe that you can do that. In Jesus' name. Amen.